Hey, everybody. I'm John Small. And I'm Dan Bova. And from the Entrepreneur Media Podcast Network, this is Dirty Money. Investigators have called it one of the biggest corruption cases ever. You're one of the greatest con men of all time. You're the daddy of them all. But what does it take to be a good con man? I'm not guilty. You're the one who's guilty. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of Dirty Money. Uh, this is a show where we are going to bring you the filthy stories of the world's worst scammers, schemers, con artists, fraudsters, and even murderers. These criminals have built millions and billions of dollars out of their poor, unsuspecting marks. And, you know, some of these white-collar criminals are very well-known to our audience, and others you might not have heard of, but they all share one common trait, and that is that they are greedy as Can I say that? Can I say that on the mm, air? Probably I think not. you just did. <laughs> I just did. I'm going to have to bring the beep machine in. <laughs> um, no, seriously, these men and women will stop at nothing to make a buck. Does that about sum it up, Dan? Is that is that I, really I th- what this show is about? I think that that is what the show is about. And, you know, uh, as we'll discover, sometimes you can't help but like slightly admire some of these people. The audacity. I'm saying that in a weird way because they work so hard. And, uh, you know, as we talk to people, we'll just figure out like, man, if they just use their big brains for good, what they could have done. But alas. But it's true. Like they're, they could be brilliant CEOs, and some of them were thought to be brilliant CEOs, and then the truth came out. And speaking of once thought of as brilliant CEOs whose truth has finally come to light, we are inaugurating this podcast series with our friend Sam Bankman-Fried. He was once hailed as the king of crypto. But today, Sam Bankman-Fried, founder and former CEO of crypto exchange FTX, is facing criminal indictments and a wave of civil complaints. Bankman-Fried and his co-conspirators stole billions of dollars from FTX customers. He used that money for his personal benefit. Bankman-Fried, arrested last night in the Bahamas, faces eight criminal charges in the U.S., I can't wait to listen to what our expert on deck has to say about it, because I think like a lot of people, we know this guy was sketchy, but we're like, what did he do? I don't even understand this. I don't understand because, I mean, I'm, I'm already confused about crypto, and he just seemed to be the worst face of it. He went from being the boy wonder of crypto to America's most wanted. And um, he's only 30 years old, Dan. 30 years old, he found one of the biggest cryptocurrency exchanges in the world. Uh, he was worth an estimated $16 billion. But just last month, SBF, as he's known in the media, I don't know if his friends call him SBF, he was arrested in the Bahamas, lived in squalor in this jail for a few weeks, and then was eventually sent to the United States where he was charged immediately with wire fraud, securities fraud, money laundering. And he is now living in his parents' home in Palo Alto, California. And he was released from jail on a $250 million bond. But who is Sam Bankman-Fried? That's what we want to know. And what did he do? And how did he do these crimes? And why is this so important? And to talk to us about this, we are thrilled to be joined by content strategy editor at Entrepreneur, 
Sam Silverman. Sam has been following this story closely. Sam, welcome to the first ever Dirty Money podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very happy to be here. And uh, yeah, Sam Bankman-Fried does not make us Sams look very good at all. <laughs> yes, I was worried. I was wondering if there was any relation. I was only... <laughs> Maybe we should call you Samantha just for this show. I don't know. Yeah, Maybe yeah. just for the show, but I usually am a Sam-only Samantha, but he really is not making us look good. Oh, that's the worst. I had a I had a boss whose name was Daniel, and he he ruined my own name for me. So I I, I feel for you. <laughs> totally, yeah. So if there's anything I've learned with dealing with Sam Bankman Fried, it's that maybe we shouldn't mess with crypto just yet. Yes, <laughs> there's so much to unpack in this story. But Sam, the the good Sam, I'm going to ask the good Sam to tell us <laughs> what do we know about the background of Sam Bankman Fried, like. Where does he come from? What's his deal? Yeah, so he comes from humble beginnings. Parents were both law professors at Stanford University. So not so humble. Yeah. Continue. Sort of part of the elite. Yeah. (laughs) So his parents were teachers. They grew up in um, California, and he was a math whiz. For lack of a better word, he was kind of a dork. And he went on to study at MIT. And he graduated in 2014. And that's kind of where he gets his first job. And that's when he starts to get into the financial world. Um, That's the first glimpse we get. And he starts doing arborage trading um, strategies for Jane Street Capital. And for people out there that don't know, an arborage trading strategy is when you purchase something um, in one market and sell it um, in another for a much higher price. Now, this is an important point because this is something he revisits as he enters into the crypto world. So I assume this, this part of his career is kind of on the up and up. When does he segue into crypto? And I guess he must have been a genius because... God knows when crypto started coming to the mainstream mooks like me, I was like, what? It's You're buying a spot on the blockchain? I don't get this at all. What is this thing called crypto? He was one of those that took advantage of us being a little confused by it. This was back in 2017 when Bitcoin was trading at 10,000. And he really took advantage of people not understanding this unregulated market that seems to have really high returns. So after playing his hand just as you know himself, buying Bitcoin in the US and then selling it in Japan, he kind of realized he can make a business out of this. So that's when he started Alameda Research. Yeah. So what is Alameda Research? It's a quantitative crypto trading firm. Meaning it it acts very similarly to a major Wall Street firm, a la Bernie Madoff, right? Mm. So it's based in Hong Kong, which has very little regulatory oversight. And what I found really interesting is the whole name of the company, like the ruse started by the name, right? Mm. And it's called Alameda Research, which is surprising, right? You would th- you would think this is a research institution. And he says, if you named your company, like we do crypto, Bitcoin, Arborage, multinational stuff, no one's going to give you a bank account, but everyone wants a research institution. Right. So right off the bat, he, even in the name is very, very peculiar. Right, right. That's, a, you know, that's funny. That reminds me of Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, the name of their firm was uh, Stratton Oakmont. What if I could teach them how to sell to people with money, real money? So I decided to reinvent the company. Gentlemen, welcome to Stratton Oakmont. 
You schnooks will now be targeting the wealthiest 1% of Americans. Talking about whales. Which they just thought sounded fancy and that people would give their money to them. So uh, that's uh, a through line. Right. He's taking advantage of this system. And even though an arborage is legal, you're kind of like, should it be? <laughs> As you kind of watch this all play out. <laughs> So we've been hearing, as we, we hear about him in the news, we keep hearing FTX, FTX. So what what is FTX? So first came Alameda, then came FTX. So with everyone kind of confused as to what crypto is, it really did scare away big money investors. So he came up with FTX to create his own crypto exchange platform where people can buy and trade his own FTX token. However, Alameda was mainly buying and trading the crypto on the exchange. So everything was really coming back to the house. Mm. Um, And yeah, everything was really only bought and sold by Alameda and they were the main um, market maker. So they set the price and very reminiscent of Bernie Madoff. He said that he can promise bigger returns than anyone else with um, less risk. So people would buy a token Mm -hmm. and then they would get these returns that were bigger than what they put in. Mm -hmm. Um, But Ostensibly, this is a Ponzi scheme, right? So he's basically paying people back with the money that people are investing, and he keeps doing this, and and that that's the beginning of a Ponzi scheme, right? They think that they're buying crypto, but they're just buying into this Ponzi scheme. Yes, well, it wasn't. It's hard to say if it was always a Ponzi scheme or not, because you know it could have started out sincerely, but then when we found out that they're using money back and forth between both companies, right? That they see that people are starting to take out their crypto um, investments because that's just the nature of crypto. It's high one day, it's low the next. So after not being able to cover their losses, because um, we'll get it into that, there is a lot of donations, you know, a lot of spending going on and a lot of spending to other crypto companies. He obviously wanted crypto to be a very lucrative industry just in general and for himself. He donated billions to 246 other crypto companies. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. he was kind of keeping the whole thing afloat in a way. Yeah, or at least hoping to, at least trying to continue this industry that's super, super volatile. So they're going back and forth between each other. And to me, it sounded like as a young 20-something and this company is being run by a bunch of young 20-somethings, what we've written about lately on entrepreneur.com is how a lot of us are having to pull from our savings you know, to make ends meet and then going back and forth on payday. And it seems like there wasn't much thought into it other than that. You know, the same way that like these survival skills that we all are using just to get by and they were all kind of mixing it up. And I don't think they were putting it back, but they were not really thinking too hard about what they were doing. It doesn't seem like. They meaning the people that were running FTX. Yes. Which was about, it was a very small amount. It was about only 10 of them. He kept his inner circle very close. And my understanding is that FTX was actually based in the Bahamas, right? They were working out of the Bahamas, the small company. They were working out of the Bahamas. It was first in Hong Kong and then they moved it to the Bahamas. But of course, because it was like less regulations over there. Right. And it it just grows like, you know, this what starts off as, you know, a small startup at a certain point in last year in January of 22, I think it was worth like thirty two billion dollars. That was the valuation. Yeah. At its peak, it was worth thirty two billion. It had tons of celebrity endorsers and like major SoftBank, BlackRock, 
Tom Brady, Shaquille O'Neal, and even um, Mr. Wonderful, which if anything is going to give a financial institution credibility, it would be someone from Shark Tank who we look to as our celebrity entrepreneur, apart from these celebrities that became entrepreneurs. He was an entrepreneur to begin with. So you want to really look to Mr. Wonderful for your guidance. And he was all involved. In the world of cryptocurrency, FTX US, the US arm of the world's biggest crypto exchanges, has partnered with Shark Tank investor Kevin O'Leary as an official ambassador. And joining us with more on this partnership is Kevin O'Leary himself. Uh, And Kevin, let's start with your deal with FTX. What was your thought process there and why FTX US? And does it solve your compliance problems? Yes, it does. I don't endorse products or services that I don't actually use. I eat my own cooking. I think that's important. After reading about him, I think he was also under the same ruse that Sam had all of us under. But adding someone like Mr. Wonderful to you know advocate for you definitely helps give you street cred. It always uh, amazes me, like Tom Brady being a celebrity endorser or whatever, like, you know, I get it. He's just being paid to be in a commercial. He doesn't need to understand every aspect of what he's talking about. I mean, he should, but I don't fault him for not. But like these big um, institutions and people who are supposedly financial experts and the whole thing with crypto, right, is that it's supposed to be so transparent, like you can't like hide transactions and things like that. So it's uh, it's shocking. Yeah. And it, it's really very hypocritical of Sam because he did a lot of hiding and also tried to become the face of regulation, right? The face of I'm the one that's here that's going to be like the crypto nice person and be very transparent. And that's not what the reality of it is. So how did this all kind of start to uh, fall apart? When when does people start to realize something a little, little sketchy was going on or a lot of sketchy was going on? So that happened a little earlier this year when crypto was being very volatile, going up, going down, and people started to pull out their investments. And um, FTX couldn't compensate for that, and they were pulling from Alameda. So while they're going back and forth and pulling from each other, in a last-ditch effort to kind of save Alameda, Binance comes in, who had worked with FTX in the past, and they were reviewed their books to see if they could acquire the company. And after further review, the CEO of Binance kind of sounded the alarm and was like, deal is off and I am taking all of my FTX tokens too. Like this company is not financial, financially stable and it just sparked panic and outrage and people withdrew $6 billion from the platform in just 72 hours. This is like a mini version of the Great Depression. Yeah, I was just <laughs> right. <thinking that. laughs> uh, but but in the in crypto terms, history yeah. keeps repeating itself. So suddenly, the company goes from thirty two billion valuation to like practically zero, right? In like seventy two hours. Yep, with an eight billion dollar hole in all their accounts and one to two billion in company um, fund and in, in client money unaccounted for. Wow. Wow. John, John, have you ever been in a little bit of a financial hole? <laughs> not not a $1 billion or $2 billion. <laughs> yeah. I, I, this makes me feel good about being in you know, a $2,000 hole. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm looking at my uh, the uh, bill sitting on my desk for uh, like $300 to, to Con Edison, and I, yeah. all of a sudden I feel a lot better about it. 
Yeah, thank you, Sam Bankman-Fried, for making me yeah, feel better thank about you, my debts. Thank you, thank <laughs> you. So all this money is unaccounted for. So now this guy is, he's in trouble and the, the media spotlight is suddenly glaring on him and not the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, what what is he? What happens after that? So he FTX files for bankruptcy on November 11th and he steps down and he is replaced by lawyer John um, Ray. And after that, he becomes surprisingly vocal. He does not um, hide. He starts taking interviews. He did an interview with, he made an appearance and spoke at an event. Um, I believe it was maybe put on, it was the Deal Book Summit. Right, Um, New York Times, yeah. Yeah, and he said that he screwed up, but I don't know if times when I lied was another thing that he said. He went on to issue a full interview expose for the New York Times. And he, at one line, he goes, it, it could be worse. Oh my God. This is why your lawyers will tell you, do not speak to the press <laughs> when you're in trouble. And, <laughs> right. exactly. and that is what happens. He, in, in, I guess, trying to be transparent, he just dug himself a deeper hole. I didn't ever uh, try to commit fraud on anyone. I I was excited about the prospects of FTX a month ago. Um, I saw it as a thriving, growing business. I was shocked by what happened this month. And, you know, reconstructing it, uh, where are there things I wish I had done differently? There was no person who was chiefly in charge of positional risk of customers on FTX. And that feels pretty embarrassing in retrospect. He said that he did not have enough oversight. It, you know, blamed mis- like unorganization. But he still was saying like he wants to work with regulators and do what's best for consumers. Still playing this card of like I'm the good guy. I'm I'm the man for the people. It was an, an accident. I didn't know what I was doing. I'm I'm young. Oops. But I don't know if you can play that card when you're trying to pretend you're a billionaire and you're saving the day. But you're not. So yeah, and. Besides, you know, what he's up to uh, with business, you know, he's kind of an interesting looking guy, or at least he dresses interestingly. Uh, He takes the whole like Mark Zuckerberg, like schlubby look to like the nth degree. And, um, you know, then we meet uh, Carolyn Ellison, who was uh, an interesting character to uh, arise from all this. What's going on there? So what makes it all that more interesting, the back and forth between um, the piggy banks between Alameda and FTX, is that the co-CEO of Alameda is um, Sam Bakemanfried's girlfriend, Caroline Ellison. They met while they were working at Jane Street Capital and very reminiscent of Elizabeth Holmes and Sonny Balwani. They kept their relationship a secret. And during their time in the Bahamas with their very small staff, we hear that there is a lot of let's say inter-office relationships going on <laughs> on the island and um, a lot of free love. Mm. <laughs> it reminded me of all the, the band kids in school that were like sexually active before everyone else. <laughs> all enjoying themselves and everyone's kind of like, what are they doing? But Caroline totally um, threw him under. Well, ish. she said that um, he was aware that these transactions were happening and she pled guilty in addition to a couple others of a uh, couple, Gary Wang, I believe his name was, to um, uh, several charges of fraud as well. Um, it's unclear what's happening to them as of yet, but they've also pled guilty. Yeah, there's some speculation that she may be helping the feds now 
this that she might have flipped on on her former oh, boyfriend. Carolyn. Yeah. <laughs> Carolyn, Carolyn, Carolyn. Yep. All right. So this story is ever evolving and by the time this episode runs, it might even be be changed yet again. But where are we right now with this story? Like where I, we know that Sam is at his parents' house, which is probably where he started this business. Somehow I believe that he was in the basement of his parents' house. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> Just looking at him. Um, so it all comes full circle. So now he's back in his parents' basement. And what's going on? So back in his parents' basement, and this is after he spoke to everyone. And he is, you know, kind of going through the procedure, it feels like right now. He pled guilty in um, a Manhattan court. And as of right now, prosecutors are saying that he orchestrated one of the biggest financial frauds in American history, and he could be facing um, 115 years in prison. Just like for, for scale, Bernie Madoff, he was sentenced to 150 years in prison, and his fraud stole $65 billion. This fraud stole $16 billion. So, I mean, it's up there, but Bernie still has him. Bernie may always be the GOA. The <laughs> yeah, the goat, right? <laughs> But this guy is is a is a contender. So at yeah. least we and we should say he's you know innocent until proven guilty. But it yeah. doesn't 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 look good. No, he was released on a two hundred fifty million dollar bond, which is interesting because I don't. Where did he get that? Yeah, that he got on the up and up. Mm-hmm. That's, I guess. That's I mean, his legit. parents his parents who were both professors certainly don't have two hundred fifty <laughs> yeah, right. million dollars. Right. So their right. money has to be coming from somewhere. Right. And I mean, I don't want to speculate, but between the Bahamas and Hong Kong, who knows how many, you know, offshore accounts he may have. They also can't find some of the money, right? Like people are looking right. for the money. There's um, one to two billion. That's totally unaccounted for. But the white knight in all of this and his quotes are just chef's kiss. <laughs> John Ray, who was previously an attorney specializing in recovering funds and failed um, corporations. So- Sam Bakeman Freed, like he really acted as though he was spearheading regulation in the crypto industry, right? Mm. So he was supposed to testify, um, or it was a committee hearing in front of Congress on regulating the industry. He was arrested and then was unable to speak at the hearing. So the new CEO spoke in his place and really handed it to him. The FTX group's collapse appears to stem from absolute concentration of control in the hands of a s small group of grossly inexperienced, non-sophisticated individuals who failed to implement virtually any of the systems or controls that are necessary for a company entrusted with other people's money or assets. He called the relationship between Alameda and FTX old-fashioned embezzlement and blamed the collapse on the absolute concentration of control in the hands of a small group of grossly inexperienced and unsophisticated individuals who fail to implement virtually any of the systems or control that are necessary for a company entrusted with other people's money or assets. So that damn just a real punch in the Those face. Are, yeah, this is the guy. <laughs> is this the guy he named to replace him as the CEO? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And this is a, a supposed recovering money veteran, right? And he goes, even with the most failed companies, we have a fair roadmap of what happened. Um, we're dealing with a literal paperless bankruptcy. So in addition to all of this being run by just kind of 10 people, their billing was on QuickBooks. Like they had zero organization. And he was, this man is left to clean it all up 
he said that SBF will have, quote, zero role in the future, which is unsurprising. I'm not sure how he could. But, and I'm sure uh, a lot of investors are hoping that they'll be able to find those billions of dollars to pay some of them back. Mm-hmm. One, of the, one of the things that's confusing about this story is that he also, SBF also tied himself very much to sort of philanthropy and was always claiming that he was going to give his fortune away. Do we know if that was legit or was that just like another one of his lies? Uh, hard to say right now. Um, right. He pledged to give away 99% of his fortune and FT- the FTX Foundation donated over $190 million to several causes. I'd imagine that that FTX Foundation is going to, you know, get be looked at under a microscope as to where those donations actually went. But he really did parade around like he is the good entrepreneur. He is the, um, or the good billionaire. He's the Mackenzie Bezos. He's not um, money hungry, right? Yeah. So the co- complete opposite, money vegan. So yeah. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah, he's a money vegan. Boy, that is the, yeah. if that hasn't explained 2023. <laughs> So he he also I understand gave a lot of money to different political campaigns. Are, are the recipients giving this money back? What what's happened with all of that? So by law they have no choice. If it's proven that these were you know illegitimate um, donations of stolen customer funds, legally they have to give back all these donations, which creates a huge problem because a lot of these campaigns, the bulk of the donation was from FTX, and a lot of the public donations he made were to Democratic organizations and a lot of Republican organizations behind the scenes. So he's going around parading like he's altruistic. Mm-hmm. He wants to help uh, very socialist, right? Like socialist, yeah, yeah. not too extreme. So right in the middle, right? Where the sweet spot, but secretly behind the scenes, we see that he's donating to um, Republican campaigns that fit the un- unregulated agenda. So it's a lot of, he's telling us one thing, but then we're seeing a paper trail that says another. So he's basically just trying to curry favor on all sides on all sides of the aisle something tells me that george santos is involved in this somehow (laughs) in fact george santos might be sbf i don't even know (laughs) that's true (laughs) um wow what a story what a story sam bankman freed you are you are a good opening episode or or bad opening episode depending on uh what your relationship with fdx might have been Sam, great reporting. We will have to bring you back when we find out more yeah, about this story. Yeah. yeah, there is a lot that's going to be developing here and people are not happy. Just um, this I just heard about today, um, the FTX arena in Miami, which they spent $135 million naming, like branding it as the FTX arena. And they still owe $5 million on it. On New Year's Eve, they put the words, F SBF on the side of the stadium and where is my money, Sam? So uh, a lot of people are going to be demanding where their money is and there's just a lot more to come. Something tells me that they should probably rename that stadium. I was just about to give uh <laughs> some give our man our man in charge some free advice. <laughs> yeah. I don't think anyone's gonna come flocking. Yeah. If there's one thing we learn from this show and we're gonna learn from this show is that you can only fool people for so long before the chickens come to roost. Did I mix a lot of metaphors right That's there? That's a whoof. Yeah. <laughs> I really did. <laughs> um, but whatever it is, I know I'm right. So we, yes. do we think, 
I, you know, we Dan and I always we we talk about this a lot because white collar criminals are fascinating. Like, what motivates them? Is it just greed? Is it a kind of a narcissism? I mean, based on interviews and stuff with 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 Sam Bankman Fried and stuff that you've seen, who? What do you think was behind this guy? Do you think he was just a a kid who was given the keys to to his father's Ferrari and just didn't you know went crazy, like went in with good intentions but just couldn't keep it under control? What do you guys think? I keep going back and forth because, you know, everything that he's saying is, you know, I want to be the good guy. I'm going to talk in front of Congress and I'm going to do all this stuff and I'm going to be the billionaire quirky that everyone loves. But he can't make the excuse of I didn't know or I'm not mature enough to know that this was wrong or I didn't have someone else more mature or more well versed on what was happening here at the helm. Or, you know, I don't know if he can blame if you're a 20 something year old billionaire, a 30 year old billionaire, you've amounted so much success. Now you want people to treat you like a 60 year old billionaire that's been doing this forever. So how can you now go back on your word, right? It's a lot of, do you want us to look at you as altruistic and all of that? But everything you're doing is the opposite. Um, right. Look yeah, at I not what they say, but their deeds, right? Yeah. Right. He's play, he can't play the, oh, I'm, I'm young and innocent and I didn't know because you're a billionaire, right? You've amounted so much wealth. How can you say that? Because when you have that attached to your net worth, as, as a society say, oh, that he's smart you know, whether he actually is or not. And we always have to remember he is probably most likely a con man. <clears throat> and con men are good at what they do. They convince you that that they didn't know. They had no idea. It's somebody else's fault. And that's what that's that's their brilliance. And if you've ever if you've ever dealt personally with a con man, most people are always like, I cannot believe that this person wasn't telling me the truth. Like they they still can't believe it when you dealt directly with somebody, you know? Oh, like I, I, I wrote a story on how I was scammed on Facebook Marketplace. I thought I was talking to a, a kind, nice old lady who like sent me paragraphs of trust me. I've done this has happened to me before. I've been scammed like they're they're good at what they do for a reason. And you kind of need to applaud them for that. But how do you applaud someone who's doing something bad? How do you applaud badness? Yeah, well, I guess if you're a bad con man or con woman, then you won't really make it on the show because someone will be like, hey, give me some money. And people will be like, no. And that's the <laughs> end. That's it. It's true. This is, you won't, nobody will ever come on this show that was bad at being a con man. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> only the best got, con men need apply. If you're listening out there, you know, aim high if you want to get on the show. <laughs> Sam Silverman, thank you so much for your time and shedding some light on this interesting story. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. Dirty Money is a production of the Entrepreneur Media Podcast Network. It is produced by Dan Bova and John Small with music by Rich Bova. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Thank you for listening. <laughs>